0: Legal discussion on tip today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors Clan Mel on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com
1: John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors is with me in the studio. Morning, John. Good morning, Fran. Fresh from India. If, if one can be fresh from fresh India. Fresh from
0: India, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you um, were out there for how long? Ten days. Uh, it was a kind of a tour, uh, arranged tour of um, Delhi, Jodhpur, I can't remember all the names anyway. Mm. But, uh, yeah, very interesting. Um, Mm. Interesting culture. Uh, I probably should have started. I was going... We were having a kind of a slag when we got off the bus and said, when I get back to Clonmel, instead of the old, um, well, how are you doing kind of thing, I'll have to go to uh, the Indian kind of one, which is, we use it when you're doing... You know, when you're doing yoga uh, and you say namaste at the end of yoga... uh, all over India, you do this namaste. It's kind of a it's a greeting oh. uh, that they use all the time. So, so whenever <clears throat> as you are walking along, they'll put their hands together and they'll they'll bow to you and they say namaste. So that's the greeting which I had only heard uh, I'd only heard before when you were doing yoga. At The Indian yoga they talk about namaste, but it's it's really inter- fascinating culture. Really fascinating culture.
1: Well, the perception is that there's lots of poverty. Did you yeah. see, was it in your face poverty? Or?
0: Well, it was in your face but I had been, my son was in Vietnam and I'd gone to Vietnam before and uh, yes, it's in your face but not as... Uh, you know, not as objectionable if that's the right word to use. Mm. Um, it's it's so much there. If you know what I mean, no matter where you are, you could be in the middle of the city and you'll see it there. I mean, you know, <clears throat> I mean that and the cows. I mean the sacred cow. I, I had to smile at the sacred cow. I mean, you'd be coming into a roundabout in the middle of a city and this cow would wander <laughs> across the road and everybody would come to a halt and go around them. Uh, mm. But yeah, no, interesting, very interesting culture.
1: Very good. Would you go? back
0: I don't know um, yeah. I don't know whether I, I, somebody asked me that yesterday and I said well ask me in a couple of weeks would I or would, would I not Um Interesting. I watched I watched Gandhi on the way back. You know the way you have all these movies to watch, <laughs> yes. and I went looking for movies. I couldn't find one, enough. so I found Gandhi and I watched Gandhi. And I thought, yeah, I must. And I bought a book on the way uh, back as well. Mm. I, I I did Russia on one of those tours years ago. and When I came back, I read a book on Catherine the Great and another one on Peter the Great because I was always, I think, in the West, we're always fascinated with Peter the Great because mm. he when he did uh, uh, when he did what is Peter. Work, but um, yeah, no. So I'll read about it, and mm. whether I go back or not, I'm not sure.
1: Interesting. All right, you're going to uh, speak to what it seems more mundane, mundane now, <laughs> <more> mundane <things. laughs> to talk so. about medical negligence. But mm. uh, yeah, this is always of huge interest to people. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I th- I think the starting point with medical negligence is the second part of which is negligence. You mm. know, what's negligence and Uh, When you're talking about negligence, you're talking about that whole area of law that deals with, you know, negligence, proving negligence and what's made up. You know, what exactly is negligence and how is it made up? What are the component parts of it? And I mean, the component parts of negligence, be it medical negligence or most other areas of negligence, are literally that there's a duty of care there. Somebody has a duty of care. Mm. Uh, you have to establish that they have a duty in the first instance and the second instance then you have to establish most obviously that they've breached that duty of care and then you have to establish a connection between the breach and the duty so in other words you have to say that the actual breach caused the loss or damage so the final hurdle, if you like, is the damage side of it. You have to prove damage or injury. And funny, because quite commonly over the years, people would come into you and uh, they would say, here's the scenario, Is do I have a case? And you say, yes, you do have a case, but do you have an injury or a damage as a result? Sometimes the first hurdle is to establish whether there's an injury. Because if there isn't, like, for example, in, in defamation, you know, the injury obviously is that, um, you know, you've been defamed. In medical negligence, you've suffered an injury. There are torts, and again, I'm using that word, th- like negligence is a kind of, there's an umbrella term in law, like you've got criminal law, you've got contract law, you've got insurance law, you know, so you've, you've banking law and then you have this area called tort law. And this is what we're talking about here, tort law. So in, in the overall heading and when you're dealing with tort law, you're talking about that there are certain torts, for example, that you don't have to prove damage at all which, for, and the, the most common example of that one is trespass. If somebody trespasses on your land, you don't actually have to prove that they walked all over your grass or that they damaged something or other. The yes. act of trespassing itself. So but in medical negligence and in negligence itself, you have must prove damage. And so the starting point then when you're looking at a case is you say to yourself, what, you know, if, if, if there is a breach, what constitutes a breach when you're talking about medical negligence. And when you're talking about medical negligence, there was a case done, a very famous case uh, done, against the Maternity Hospital in Dublin. And in that particular case, the Supreme Court, I think it's far back, it's possibly it might be, nineteen. Uh, I mean, 1990s when litigation started to become very prevalent in the whole area of medicine. But the Dunn case was a case where the court was asked to say. And, I mean, again, bear in mind that when you're looking at law, you look to two kind of main areas to find your information about what is or what is not uh, the makeup of a case. And you can have statute law and you can have case law. I mean, in, in, in our jurisdiction, and funnily, I mean, this is all very relevant when you're talking about the EU versus Ireland if you know what I mean mm. because you know whether if you were in France for example a lot of the law is made up by statute so if you want to find out your law in France you go and good old Napoleon was the guy who did all the work there he literally codified and put into statute in right. writing
1: That means it's it's written It's, it's written it's down written so law. if you
0: want to look it up you go looking up the statute or you mm. go up, look the act the legislation that's involved but in 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 what we call the common law jurisdictions and any again go back to India for a second. We know that the Brits were in 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 India indeed they were. And they introduced their system of law into India so obviously their system of law and it's in Australia as well and it's in Canada as well and it's in any other jurisdiction. So the bottom line on that is that you have case law what they call case law. So that's a long winded way of saying that in this particular area of law, medical negligence the Dunn case is like your seminal judgement that sets out the parameters of this mm. duty that we're
1: talking and about. And what, what was that? Yeah, Just remind us of that case. Well,
0: this is a case, basically, the parameters of the law that they set down was if a medical practitioner does something uh, that is outside the standards that are the accepted standards within the particular expertise. Mm. So if if they are below what is the common standard that's there, that's kind of the starting point. So you kind of look to... What would somebody of a similar standing, experience, qualifications do in this situation? Mm. And has this person come below that standard? That's the kind of starting point that you look at it. It doesn't mean, of course, that the fact that the, that there is a standard per se, that the standard isn't sacrosanct, if you know what mm. I mean. So, in other words, the fact that if you start and you find that it, they followed what everybody else has done, is that enough? That is not necessarily enough because the court the court retained a kind of a jurisdiction to say that if somebody uh, applies a standard, but if that standard is inherently not acceptable, well then under those circumstances there's still a breach there. And full enough, one of the most... Uh, known cases to lawyers involved, a solicitor who was involved in a transaction, a conveyancing transaction because after all, when you're talking about the medical profession, you can equally talk about the legal profession. You can talk about the engineers or any, any yes. it, it applies across the board to any kind of Where, where standards are concerned. Exactly, yes. where standards are concerned hmm. or where negligence is concerned, if you know what I mean. So in, in, in the, the case that I'm talking about involved with solicitors who raised what we call requisitions on title requisitions on title are just a fancy word for questions about the the title, you know, mm. the documents involved in the transaction and they basically said but we followed the standard that was given to us by the Law Society, our professional body and therefore we're okay but the court held, no you're not okay when we look at it, not, we don't think that this is a good standard or a good practice and therefore they're found to be negligent. So in that particular case uh, so, in the case of medical negligence, the fact that there is a general standard per se is your starting point. If you comply with the general standard, then you're probably okay. But probably is the opposite word because mm. obviously the court can still look at it. The other one then is that if you're looking at a situation that, let's say, you've a difference of opinion. You know what happens if, you know, some one doctor would do it one way. Uh, another doctor would do it another way is that enough in itself? No it's not the fact that maybe 99% of medical practitioners do it one way and the 1% do it the other way doesn't make it wrong either If 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 there's nothing inherently wrong with the alternative approach, if you know, right now. 99 versus 1 mm. is probably not a good example. If you yeah, know.
1: it's it's interesting. And what we're talking about here is negligence that might result in, in some sort of trauma, some sort of exactly. physical trauma or yeah, something. Yeah. Is, is there... Ever a case that would stand up if it was like a post traumatic stress situation, in, in other words, something that the doctor did, it might have resulted in an injury, mm. but it might have resulted in 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 some sort of mental yeah, um, psychological, uh, psychological yeah, damage yeah, in yeah. some way. Does yes. that come up from time to
0: that time? That would, yeah, that would, because obviously when you're looking at injury, injury is a broad term. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a physical injury, uh, and it can also be uh, the psychological element of it can be relevant as well. If you mm. mean. So what you're looking at in the situation where, you know, and it's quite like, for example, if you broaden it out a little bit, it's there is in fact a self-contained standalone cause of action for, for a recognised psychiatric stroke, psychological reaction to a traumatic event which arose as a result of a breach of duty. By somebody, if you know mm. what I mean. So, for example, if you're in a situation where there's a horrific road traffic accident and let's say somebody comes upon the accident who is closely related to the deceased and they in turn suffer a psychological, as you say, a standalone psychiatric mm. psychological reaction to uh, the particular set of circumstances, if you know what I mean. So yes, there's a st- and when you're looking at injury, injury and damage is a broad term. Yes, It doesn't have to be physical, it can be psychological as well. So yes, it does, That's you can't cover that.
1: So, let me just take a break for a moment, uh, John. Wow. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email Today at tipfm.com. And you're very welcome back to Tip Today. And John Lynch from Lynch Solicitor is still with me in uh, studio. Some questions in uh, for you, John. Let me see. Um, how long do you wait to claim medical negligence? I suppose that's. That's uh, a very good
0: question. John. Yeah. That involves something other than. It's kind of, I always see that question as, you know, when do you know that there's a case, if you know what I mean, that kind of question. Because, uh, first of all, the law says, like in all areas of tort, that you have a limited period of time within which to make a claim. And that, if you like, is based on the logic that people can't wait indefinitely to take a case because it's unfair on somebody against whom you take the case that there it could come out of the left field if you know what I mean so that question and funny because that that's one of my areas of interest one of my er, many areas of interest but that particularly is an area of interest to mine because there's been a couple of cases I'm sounding long winded now because I'm, I'm I'm still in holiday mode <laughs> I think I'm, th- I'm still on the bus uh, but that kind of comes around the question which which is a difficult question when you're dealing with medical negligence because, you see, if you take it that if you're in a situation where you're, you're under treatment, if you know what I mean, when, when does the point come that you suddenly start saying to yourself, well, wait a second here now, this doesn't seem right to me. Uh, you know, there's something wrong here. And the issue that, that arises is when does when will a court say that you should start doing something, right? Now, can I just say that the start doing something is that what the law says is that you have two years from the date of the accrual of the cause of action to take a case. Now, what the hell does that mean? What that means is, what it commonly means is, if you're involved in a road traffic accident and you have a crash, You usually have two years from that date to take a case. Right. So that's fairly simple and fairly straightforward. Mm -hmm. If you're involved in a medical negligence situation, and or you're involved in a situation where commonly there might be, let's say, a hidden consequence from the accident. So let's say, like, let's go for the one that kind of triggered a lot. There was a case that started all this way back. Well, it didn't start at all. It was the one that where the courts tried to jump over hopes to get a claim in, uh, if you like, that was out of time and bring it into time on the basis of what they called the discovery principle. Mm. So in other words, what the, what the courts tried to do was, the courts tried to do, uh, I can't think of the name of the case now, but I know that the judge was Barr, I can't remember the case name, but I should know it, but there you go. Um, the particular individual had had an operation as a child. She was only 15 Mm. at the time. And one of, uh, the operation involved uh, in removing one as opposed to two of, um, gee, my head has gone now. Uh, But anyway, the operation did something that she knew nothing about. Yes. So over a period of 10 or 15 or 20 years she had serious problems, health problems as a result of the operation, right? Mm. But she had no clue at any stage during that 15 or 20 years, nobody told her that the reason that she had the problem was that the operation that happened 30 years previously caused it. So the the, the bottom line on it was that when she did find out, she went to take a case, because mm-hmm. she was sold by a consultant, that should never have happened, mm. you know, and if that hadn't happened, you'd be fine. So she went to take the case, Maitland and Swan, that's the name of the case, just come into my head, Maitland and Swan, and I remember it because Swan, this consultant, anyway, that's another story, <laughs> uh, the... um. So when she went to take the case, she went into the high court, and the judge in the high court bar said, "Well, you can't really expect her to take the case when she'd know she'd no way no of knowing or no way of finding out that she had a problem." And he in, he devised this. He tried to make case law. He tried to create a right through case law. He was knocked down in the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, "No, you can't. You can't invent a new way of doing this." Blah blah blah. Mm. Two years is out. She's out of time. End of story. So then they introduced in by law. They introduced what we call the knowledge principle. And the knowledge principle basically means that you are you, your two years starts to run from the date that you knew or ought to have known that you had a problem, Hmm. okay?
1: And that could be... 20 years exactly, since the incident. Exactly, that could so. be any amount of time yes.
0: on because, and that all started with the asbestosis cases, do you remember? I that do we, indeed. We only discovered, well it's a long time now since we discovered we discovered that people had was get, were getting and dying from asbestosis mm. from work they'd done 40 years ago. The hearing cases for example are another example mm. of the knowledge principle where people would have been using guns in the army didn't know anything about it and bang, they had hearing problems and they didn't the hearing problems didn't come about for much, much mm. a long, long time after, and they they didn't establish the connection. Now, there was a lot of toing and froing about this up to very, very recently, when the Supreme Court handed down a judgment literally last year. Actually, no, not last year. This year, the 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 Supreme Court handed down a judgment and basically said that medical negligence cases are particularly difficult because of the fact that you're under care, and sometimes it's very hard to distinguish when you are still suffering as a result of your underlying issue and when, in fact, there was something that has gone wrong with the way that you were treated. So because of the difficulty of establishing those two, if you like, there's a little bit more leeway there than there had been prior to the Supreme Court decision. And that doesn't answer your question.
1: Well, well, it does, because you're talking about two years in the event of you knowing straight away yes, that, that something is... And other than that, it's when you find out that... Well,
0: that you see, the problem is when you find, find out or ought to have found out. Yeah, if you see, that's the, the one that worries
1: me, the ought to. Yes,
0: well and that should worry you, because the ought to have found out is where all the problems were. Right. Because, you see, like there were judgments handed down in the last three years for example where one judge looked at the situation and said ah they should have known straight away there was a problem here so therefore they should have taken that case Right. And bang you're out of time and then other judges look at it and say no 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 actually wait a second now you know they weren't out of time because they couldn't have known for for a longer right. period so. very
1: very nuanced and that yeah. brings me to the other question as well um, does a patient and we have very little time for this but does a patient have a duty of care to themselves do you know?
0: Yes, I do. I do. And that's a very, that's the area of contributory negligence. Right. So in other words, they are, the question there is uh, whether or not, you know, does anybody have a duty to ensure that they in some way mitigate mm. or mitigate that to Technical, but whether they uh, reduce the risk, if you like, Mm. of the injury, do they have a responsibility to try and do that? And the straight answer to that is usually yes, but in the case of medical negligence, it's very hard to to say that somebody has a duty, if you like, to look after themselves. To whether whether, when they're in a situation, if you like, that they're being cared for by somebody else, Mm. how much responsibility do they have in terms of their own care? I think. I haven't seen any case that we've been involved in that has been argued successfully. That if you like... Now, it's a different kettle of fish altogether when you deal... Because don't forget that medical negligence isn't all just about treatment. It can be about diagnosis. It can be about um, consent or disclosure. So in other words, the area where that becomes quite relevant is where you have a situation where you go in for treatment you're warned about the consequences of the treatment, and you go ahead anyway. And let's say something happens which you then say, well, wait a second here, I've undergone treatment and I'm now, let's say, deaf in one year as a result of this. The question then arises as to whether or not you consented to the treatment insofar as you were advised and informed of all the consequences of the treatment. And that is a really, that's right. an area for another discussion.
1: And, and and But, I mean, if a patient dies, for example, John, as a result of a diagnosis, for example... The human element there is, I mean, if you present me with symptoms, mm. I presume there could be three or four different disorders that might uh, manifest itself mm. in those symptoms. Mm. So, can a doctor be really held? You know? I mean,
0: you know... Well, and yeah, the straight answer is yes. Because, yeah. you see, like a lawyer or an accountant or an engineer, you come to a professional looking for them to direct you on a particular thing. And the reality of it is... So you have to be right all of the time. Well, no, you don't have to be right all of the time, but you have to do your job at to the best of your ability in accordance with accepted standards within your profession. And that's what will
1: be examined in the court. And that's what's
0: looked at in the court. I mean, none of us are perfect and we'll all make mistakes and there's no doubt but that we all do make mistakes and we wouldn't be human if we didn't. But the reality of it is that if that mistake results in a loss and damage to somebody else, which which is as a result of a failure to follow what is an acceptable standard, well, then you have to put your hand up and say, well, There's a breach and there's damage and therefore there's a cause of action.
1: John, always a pleasure. Thanks very much indeed. John Lynch there from Lynch. Solicitors in Clonmel.